Hi, I'm Rachel Monteleone and welcome to Kittypedia, the podcast. I'm not an expert. However, I do speak with them with the view of providing you with expert information and advice to help you be the best parent that you can be. Together, let's give children the life they deserve and a positive future. Today's episode is brought to you by Bugaboo, award-winning prams and strollers to help families create endless moments of fun and discovery every step of the way. Bugaboo believes that families don't have to go all that far to discover a world of something new. Designing extraordinary parenting solutions that make spending time together with your child exciting, memorable, and most importantly, fun, no matter where you go. Hello and welcome. Well, this week is Red Nose Australia's sixth Safe Sleep Week, an annual national awareness campaign to help save little lives. As Australia's leading baby safe sleep organisation, Red Nose Safe Sleep Week was created in 2017 to raise awareness of their six safe sleep recommendations, which we'll go through in just a moment, and to equip any new parent with practical information they need to keep baby safe while sleeping. In support of this, we are honoured to welcome our very special guest, Jane Wiggle, Chief Midwife at Red Nose Australia. Now, Jane joined Red Nose in 2018 as Chief Midwife and Manager of the organisation's Health and Advocacy Program. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jane. How are you? Oh, I'm well, thank you. What a beautiful introduction. Thank you for that. Oh, well, you <laughs> know what, Kitty PDA is really honoured and, and we always have been to be in partnership with Red Nose, which we've been in partnership for a few years now in support, of course, of just the incredible information and advice and services that you provide to parents. Um, but just before we get stuck into all of the um, incredible information that you're going to share with us um, and, and our audience today, I'd love to know just a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, it's been said that you were attracted to work with Red Nose because of the amazing work done on a national level to support families and just Australians on a broader scale. So I'd just love to know, just to hear it from yourself, of course, because everyone that's associated associated with the red nose always speaks so highly and like with so much love and respect for you so it's so great to to be able to chat to you to understand from your perspective to tell us what you actually love about your your work at red nose oh thank you for that that opportunity that's so wonderful so yes i'm first and foremost i'm a midwife and i'm coming into i, I think it's my 14th year um, as a midwife and i started off very much you know go, 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 birthing suite, fetal monitoring, all of those things. And um, as I built my experience up and delivered all of those beautiful babies, you know, I was, you know, having a fantastic time while I was doing that as well. And, you know, as the, the career progressed, um, and of course, you know, you don't know what is coming through your front door sometimes um, at hospital, you know, sometimes it's a fantastic day at someone's best day, you know, of their lives. And then, you know, somebody might come through the doors and it's their worst day. And yep. as a midwife, you have to learn how to modulate that and work with that because sometimes you might be looking after both situations and, the other person can't know what you're dealing with in that room wow. versus that room. And that can be really challenging. And 
as I was um, becoming more and more, um, I guess, experienced with delivering stillborn babies, um, which is a very, very, very sad thing. And, you know, nobody particularly wants to be very experienced in that. We want that to go away. It dawned on me that there needs to be a way to help uh, families on a wider scale, and I knew that I could I could help families while I was in the hospital system and and working with them one on one. But you know, was there a way that we could um, spread messages or educate or empower or you know demystify or you know just just help people on a on a larger scale? And when the opportunity to join Red Nose presented itself, um, I threw my hat in the ring, and they decided. Oh, to take me on. <laughs> so I've been here four years later and loving it. Yeah, congratulations on all your, I guess it is it's just your life's work. What an incredible and honourable job it is to be able to bring lives into the world and, and support families through the hardship, which they do, unfortunately, in some situations yeah. um, experience. Now, I understand that Red Nose has been educating parents for over 40 years now. And in that time, um, Red Nose have helped reduce SIDS by 85%. That's incredible because yeah. that's over 10,000 little lives saved. It's actually um, over 11,000. Sorry. Oh, I had, there you go. So, so the latest figure is 11,357 and Crazy. that's just the little baby. And so statistically we know that there's up to 60 people that surround a little baby, each little baby that's born. So if you can just sort of do the maths, you know, we've, we've prevented that ripple effect of tragedy going through all of those family groups. Uh, so it, 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 like, it is amazing. It's amazing what's been achieved. I just, I'm so proud of the organisation. It's, it's wonderful. And not just that, but you know, on an annual um, scale, that over 300,000 babies are born every year and, and about 180,000 roughly to first-time parents. So, I mean, is this why it's so important to keep talking about SIDS? And I'd just love to know from your perspective, yes. why is it so important to keep these conversations sort of um, happening? Yeah, so it's the the win that we had, you know, in Australia where we reduced the number was huge. And I guess we need to be really careful that we don't think, oh, well, it's cured, don't need to worry about it anymore, it's never coming back. Because the moment that we stop educating and the moment that we stop sort of um, working with parents and healthcare professionals about the importance of following the Safe Sleep recommendations – those numbers will go up very, very easily. And we know, you know, it, it has been 40 years. We've had the the luxury of all of that time and all of that research. So the recommendations that we do put forward that we'll talk about in a moment are all evidence-based and we know that they work. Yep. But we have to continue to, we have to continue with that. You know, it's sort of, it's, it's really, really important. Yes. Mm. Now, um, one of the other really most important things that you speak about and advocate um, is, of course, for anyone that has not um, possibly heard about Red Nose's six safe sleep recommendations, can you please explain what they are and why they are so important? Yes, I would love to. So, yes, there are six. There's a lot to remember. But the key takeaway from all of them is that it's about protecting the baby's airway. And so if parents can be thinking about that when they read the recommendations, they make a lot more sense. So the first recommendation is to always place your baby on their back to sleep from birth. And this is 
to protect the airway predominantly. So we know that um, when babies sleep on their backs, their primitive airway protection reflexes that they're born with work best in that position. So so when they're born, that you know, they're a screaming little gorgeous, you know, fluffy little squashed up being <laughs> that they they're gorgeous and they can't do a lot, but what they can do is um, protect their airway really well. And they do that through swallowing through gagging and vomiting and arousal from sleep. They're really strong and really important. And when babies are born, we check those. We check for a suck reflex. We, we check for a gag. We check for all of these things as midwives. So we know that these kids can do that. Now, what the research has very, very um, strongly um, uh, revealed is that if we sleep our babies on their back, those airway protection reflexes, particularly swallowing and waking up from sleep, work best in that position. If we sleep our babies on their bellies, those two airway protection reflexes are significantly depressed and don't work as well. So really, really, really important. It's got a lot to do with as well, even the position of the, the baby's food pipe and the windpipe. When they're on their back, the windpipe um, sits above the food pipe. So if they were to do a little vomit, which they're going to, their babies have had a big bolus of milk or bottle or whatever it is that they've had, they're going to do a little vomit. We know that that, that swallowing reflex works really well. Yep, they'll vomit, but they'll swallow it back down and they'll clear their airway. It's not going to fall into the into the windpipe. Okay. But if we put our babies on their bellies, that anatomy is reversed. So the food pipe sits on top of the windpipe. So if they vomit, which they will, they're not going to swallow so well because they're on their belly. We know that that doesn't kick in. And it's very easy for milk composites to sort of micro aspirate into the airway. And then what happens then is the baby's stop breathing and they drop their heart rates really quickly and if they're left in that position for too long it can have a catastrophic outcome so really important that we keep babies on their back for sleep for that airway protection yep so um thank you for sharing all of that and it's just great to hear it sort of i guess explained so clearly um as well i, I would love to go through if we can just each of the the recommendations um just to maybe yeah. elaborate a little bit more the first one i understand is to place um baby on their back as you just yep. mentioned and no need for them yep. to sleep on their tummy um the second one is keep um baby's head and face uncovered could you maybe tell us yep. a little bit about that yeah of course so that again mm -hmm. speaks to the airway and airway protection so Babies, particularly little babies in that first six months of life are preferential nose breathers when they sleep. So they prefer to, to breathe through their nose. And if we put our babies to bed with hats on or, or gorgeous scarves or beanies and things like that, and they become dislodged and cover the nose and mouth, that can be hugely problematic. Babies can suffocate and asphyxiate. The same thing can happen if um, you've popped them into bed and you you haven't made sure that the bedding is is um, firmly tucked in enough and it's covered the face. So we don't want to we don't want their faces covered in any way, shape, or form. We want them to be able to breathe freely and have a clear airway. Yep. But the second important reason for this is that babies um, thermoregulate or they regulate their temperatures predominantly through their face and through their heads, and that's 
really important and it's important that we don't impede a baby's ability to do that um, because we know that overheating is a significant risk factor for SIDS as well. And so if we're covering up that baby and that baby's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and they're not able to arouse from sleep very well, then we've got a problem. So we need to make sure that their airway stays clear and we need to make sure that, that they don't get too hot. Okay. Yeah. The, the next do you want me to go into the next one or do you want yeah. to call it? Yeah, you, you go for it. Yeah. 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 So it's about keeping babies smoke free before and after birth. This is a really huge one. And when we speak to parents about this and, you know, when we've been lucky enough to be face to face, a lot of parents will glaze over and not really li listen to this one. And it's largely because we've reduced smoking in this country by a lot as well, thanks to the quick campaigns and, and you know, a lot of hard work that's been done there. But we do have around 10% of our mothers still smoking in pregnancy. And if you're, if you're an Indigenous mother-to-be, you'll be upwards of 43% of your population group will be smoking in pregnancy. And the reason why this is such a problem is because when you expose your baby to cigarette smoke when they're in utero on the inside, what the research is indicating is that nicotine can cross the, the placenta and enter the fetal bloodstream as early as five to six weeks gestation. And wow. it, it adheres to the fetal brain, a very primitive fetal brain. And it's going straight to one of those airway protection reflexes that I mentioned earlier. And it's the arousal from sleep reflex. So it's insulting that and we don't want that. We, we want our babies to be wakeful and healthy so they can feed and grow and thrive and be strong. So that's, that's the first problem. The second problem with smoking is that, you know, if you're smoking away, you know, you tend to, you know, have other um, health problems. You can develop a really small, scrappy little placenta. And then, you know, your your baby is trying to thrive from that and get as much nutrition from that. And if you've got a small, yucky placenta, chances are your baby's probably going to be small and sickly as well. And, you know, we want our babies to grow on the inside as much as they can so they can come out and thrive and be healthy. Yep. And, you know, we want to give them the best chance. We don't want to be, you know, um, setting them up to fail, really. We also know that if we continue to expose babies to passive smoking, we're still exposing them to that risk of that arousal mechanism not working properly. So important to keep smoke away from, from babies um, in pregnancy and out. But there's one more piece to this puzzle, and that is that if we're always talking about a baby's airway, because that's what the red nose recommendations are all about, you know, why are we exposing our children to cigarette smoke where we can hurt them and we can really affect a baby's airway and we can set them up to have chronic asthma, you know, you know, croup that comes back time and time again, bronchitis. You know, our job is to support our babies to support themselves in their airway protection. And one of those huge things we can do is to keep smoke away from them. So that's about, the third one. Um, vaping mm. as well um, as opposed to the direct <clears throat> cigarette smoke. Unfortunately, there's no research yet or very little, so I can't um, definitively um, talk to that, but I would bet my bottom dollar that vaping is pretty ordinary, yep. particularly if you've got the pure nicotine in there and that you should really stay well away from that as well. Um, yeah, vaping and e-cigarettes and e is just, you know, that's a whole new ball game of 
terror in my mind. Well, it's just the fact that um, from when I've seen people vaping, um, maybe not so much in, in a close proximity in, in a lounge room or in a home, but it's just the amount of smoke that can come out as opposed to, I know, and hear everything you said about cigarette smoke, but vaping can create a whole cloud of, of um, you know, whatever it is, is that it is that they're vaping. Um, yeah. I would just, I would assume that, you know, it's obviously um, not beneficial in any capacity whatsoever, but I just wondered what your, your thoughts were on that. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, if we're, tr- if we're just, trying to keep an airway clear, why would we puff smoke all over the place? Like let's right. just yep. keep everything clear and, and you know, clean. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's our third. And our fourth recommendation is to provide a safe sleeping environment for your baby night and day. Yep. And this um, in principle sounds really easy, um, but what we're finding is parents are – bombarded with a lot of products on the market, new products, hybrid products, fantastic things that promise the world, you know, I'm going to give you back your night's sleep that you've lost. And, you know, out of desperation, parents are lured into purchasing devices to sleep their babies in that probably aren't the safest. And so really the safest place that you can sleep your baby is a cot or a portable cot because both of those items uh, must comply with Australian standards for safety for overnight unsupervised sleep. So that's just your stock standard. And whether you want to spend $1,000 on a cot or whether you want to spend $100 on a cot, it will meet the Australian standards for safety and you know that your baby's really safe. So that's really important. Yes. What The choice of mattress is also really important as well. Yes. So you need a mattress that's firm and flat and well-fitted to the cot with no gaps. A good way to check if your mattress is firm, uh, uh, firm fitting to your cot is to just put two fingers together that's about two centimeters Mm -hmm. and slide your fingers down between the cot and the and the cot side the cot side of the mattress rather and you shouldn't be able to fit any more than than that through there um, on a centered mattress so then you know there's no um, opportunity for a baby to become wedged um, or suffocate in gaps because that has happened unfortunately too many times wow um yeah, and we want a nice, flat, firm surface so that airway can be nice and, and neutral, like we spoke about before, not too soft. Um, and not too soft, you know, in case, you know, if your baby was to roll onto their tummy, we don't want them burying their face into softness and then remembering that they're a preferential nose breather, getting into trouble. So it needs to be nice and flat, firm, not tilted or elevated in any way, shape or form. It's always safest to keep your baby flat for that airway protection. And we don't want to add anything else to that cot space. So no um, pillows, bumpers, lambs wools, toys, cocoons, anything that you see that, you know, influences a flogging. Just stop and think for a minute. You know, if I'm adding something to this seemingly safe sleep environment, which is my cot that I've bought, if I add something to it, am I adding risk to my baby's airway? And chances are you are. Yep. And if you're not sure, Ring Red Nose, and we can talk to you about the purchase that you've made or the purchase that you're thinking about making. You know, we're always more than happy to help parents. Um, quick question on that. Where a baby may have croup um, and or for whatever reason, for health reasons, they've had to sort of elevate um, the the cot um, just for, you know, for, for sleeping purposes for the baby. Mm. Is there any yep. recommendations around those situations at all? Yeah. So always, always, if that, 
um, is the case with your baby. I mean, there's only a very small percentage of babies in the whole wide world, you know, reflux babies, for example, where the chances of dying from reflux is higher than um, sleeping on their back. So these kids need to be elevated, but it's a very small percentage. But if you do have a baby with croup and they're struggling and you've been to see your healthcare professional, you, you just need to get those directions in writing so you've got that. Right. Um, there, yeah, and always follow the advice of your healthcare professional. But we know, you know, um, here at Red Nose, in terms of um, definitely in terms of reflux management, that the um, evidence is very loud and clear and unanimous um, internationally that the risk yeah. of SIDS is so much higher if you tilt a baby they're not. And really to alleviate reflux symptoms, tilting them isn't going to stop a baby being cross or feel it coming up. It's still going to come up. They're still going to swallow. They're still going to wake up. So why increase the risk? Just position your baby in a safe way. But definitely if your baby's really, really unwell, um, has a disability, um, requires a body positioning for sleeping, then of course you need, you need to be following um, the written directives of your healthcare professional. Right. Definitely. Uh, where are we up to? We're Was up that to four? number five. Uh, number five. five. Yep, sleep five. hub in your That's room so for the first six to 12 months. Yes. So this is a really interesting one. So this has been shown to reduce the risk of sudden unexplained death in infancy by as much as 50%. And it's largely to do with the fact that parents can intervene and move their babies to a position of safety should they become compromised in a sleep environment. And, you know, it sounds really obvious, but you know what, that's okay that that's obvious. Of the majority of the SUDI cases that um, have been documented, babies were found to be sleeping in their own uh, safe sleep environment, but in a separate room away from the committed adult um, or caregiver. So really important that we bring our babies in the room with us. We become, um, th there's a lot more of that sort of infant maternal um, interaction that happens overnight when we're aware of each other in the room. Baby can smell mum, chances are she smells great because she's, you know, smelling like milk and she probably feels like she hasn't had a shower for 10 days and she stinks, but <laughs> the baby thinks it's wonderful and is going to be wakeful and wants wants to feed off mum. And it, it just um, is, a, is a fantastic um, dynamic that goes on and it's largely led by the baby. So the baby's wakeful to the parent. It's, it, you know, and then the parent wakes up and goes, oh my gosh, you know, Sammy's awake again, Urgh, tearing my hair out. But it's a really good thing. So we want that um, those arousal um, mechanisms to kick in really well. And it happens when we're together in the room. Um, yes, as I mentioned before, parents can, you know, help their babies, you know, if they, um, you know, find that a blanket covers their head. And, you know, time and time again, Rachel, on the safe sleep line, mums will rig and they'll say, I don't know how I woke up. I don't know why I woke up, I but I did. found him. I just did. And he was on his tummy and I was so scared and I picked him up and he was fine. So, you know, I know that that hasn't been, you know, researched by a, you know, meta-analysis and a massive group of people, but, you know, we hear this all the time. There's yeah. merit There's merit in there. Um, but it also benefits breastfeeding beautifully, which leads us into our sixth safe sleep recommendation. And, Yep. You know, I'll take up your whole podcast talking about breastfeeding if you let me. But <laughs> it's fantastic um, with regards to reducing risk um, for sudden unexplained death um, in infancy for a whole bunch of reasons. And um, I'll go into them now as yep. briefly as I can. So <laughs> it's 
we know that it's the optimal food for babies for their growth and development. We know that, um, and it's it's a dynamic food that changes every day, hour by hour. You know, to meet the needs of that baby. It's designed for human babies. You know, it's fantastic. Now, if we think about the time in a baby's life where they're particularly vulnerable to acids happening. That's going to be between zero and six months of age. That's that's the, we've had the most deaths in that time, in particular the two to four month age range, and that's a time in a baby's life where they're doing lots and lots of brain growth. So heaps of myelination in the brain. Um, they're bedding down what's known as their homeostasis. So that's just normal breathing patterns, um, heart rate, blood pressure, temperature all of that stuff, they're, they're sort of working on that. At about three months, they get an, a hormone injection. Um, and like naturally, everyone, they don't go and get an injection. It just happens. And they start to kind of settle into some sleeping patternings. So, you know, um, they're falling into a bit of a circadian rhythm. So there is so much going on in this baby. And we know that for, for some babies, they can destabilize when they're sleeping and not wake up doing this. So what better than to support that brain development and that brain stem and, you know, all of that breathing and all of that heart rate than to support it with breast milk, which is which has been designed to really support our kids during that time. So really important for that reason. In terms of, you know, supporting a vulnerable baby, fantastic. Every time you provide a breast feed or breast milk to your baby, you're providing that baby with um, um, an immunity boost. So we know that um, the immune system really largely sits in our gut. You know, every second person is ready to talk about gut health and gut health is fantastic. Microbiome. Yeah. Yes. And it, and, that, and it feeds the microbiome. And so breast milk, I don't know whether you've ever tasted it. You don't have to answer that question. No, um, I haven't. <laughs> but it, it's sweet. It's sweet. And it's sweet for a reason. One, it tastes good. So I'll have some more of that, please. And two, it feeds all of that really important um, gut bacteria to build the baby's immune system. And so if we're talking about airway protection, let's fight off coughs and colds as hard as we can or not get them in the first place. So let's keep breastfeeding our babies to reduce that risk. And if your baby is going to get a cough and cold, which unfortunately, I mean, it can't be helped. They will and they need to. They need to because it helps with their immune, you know, system building as well, the building blocks. At least the breast milk is going to um, reduce the signs and severity of that and hopefully that they can kick that cold to the curb and go on and be a really happy baby again. So that's for that reason. When you compare the two foods, so infant formula and breast milk, they're really different. So infant formula is still a fantastic food for babies. You know, it's been designed for for babies, um, but it is a synthetic food and it is quite different in that it um, is much higher in protein than breast milk. Breast milk is really high in carbohydrate and water. And you know yourself, if you, you know, eat lots and lots of carbohydrates, you'll digest them really quickly and then you'll be looking for a snack in two to three hours' time. But if you have a big, heavy whack of protein, you're going to be fuller for longer. And so these babies tend to go to sleep and sit on that milk. It's heavier milk and they sit on it longer. Now, it... It's a tricky one because mums will think, well, that's fantastic. I'm going to give a bottle overnight and then they're going to sleep all night and then I'm going to get my sleep back. And I know that that's really tempting, but please don't use formula unless you really have to. There are 
families that breastfeed and there are families that don't and we're not here to to judge or or anything like that we're here to support all families but please don't use formula as a way to keep your baby asleep babies are meant to be wakeful it's a normal infant behavior they're meant to cry they're meant to get cross and then forget while they're cross and you're meant to sit there and go oh my gosh sometimes you just have to hold their little hands through it get them through that little hurdle um so yeah that's that's breastfeeding it's been shown to help reduce the risk by 50 percent so thank you so much for going through all of that with us um pleasure i also wanted to um acknowledge we had published uh, your article and it's titled safe sleep week top 10 bedtime worries of new parents so this information is gold And I would really love, like, with I mean, within that article, you list the top 10 um, baby uh, safe sleep questions that you receive from parents mm. on how to keep um, babies safe while sleeping. And I'd really love for us just really quickly, I know there's 10 of them, but just to, to fly through them um, as I ask the question, if you could maybe just elaborate and just briefly yeah. explain um, about them in a bit of a fireside chat. So I, um, but this information is really gold because as you mentioned, these are the, what, the questions that you get the most. Um, so the first one that we've got on the list here is my um, my five-month-old baby is rolling when sleeping and wants to sleep on his tummy. I've tried tucking in um, the sheet and blanket in really tightly, but he still rolls. What do I do? Over to really, you. really hard. Oh, gosh. Yeah, really, really hard. And first of all, you know, you've got a five-month-old baby that's rolling. That's fantastic. Some babies start doing this as early as two or three weeks and then wow. mums are tearing their hairs out. So... Five months is is good. Um, so what we what we need to do is is make sure that the babies aren't wrapped. So I assume that with this mum, she's no longer swaddling her baby at all, and that baby has their arms free. And so a good way to, to try and um, keep that airway lovely and protected is to sleep the baby in a safe sleep bag. First of all, um, that's really well fitted across the chest um, and neck and has um, full sleeves or armholes so baby has access to, to arms to make sure that they can um, self-correct if they become compromised in there. The biggest thing to do is if that baby can't roll in both directions, I'm not too sure whether the, the, that baby can or not, if the baby can't and you notice that we've done this during the day, you can gently roll your baby back onto its back during the day. Now, it's it's totally unreasonable for us to suggest that parents stand and stare over their babies all night. And I know that it is really frightening. So things that you can be doing during the day is lots and lots of tummy time to help build up those um, muscles that the baby needs, core strength, so they can they can roll and, and finish off that milestone. When they learn how to roll, they tend to roll one way first and they, they kind of take a few weeks to kind of um, catch up with the other one. Yep. So the safe sleeping bag, Lots and lots of tummy time and also ensuring that all the hazards are removed from the cot space. So, you know, if you had a monitor that was nearby that a baby could bump and throw into the cot and get tangled in or um, you had any pillowing, you know, keep the space as clear as you can because we're trying to keep this airway as clear as we can as well. Gotcha. All right, the next one. My four-month-old baby is rolling but still has startle reflex. How long should I take to transition out of a swaddle? It's interesting um, that baby being four months old and still having a startle reflex because that's relatively uncommon. We tend to lose our startle reflex um, at seven weeks. So I'm not sure why that little one still does it, but really it's time to 
if, if the baby's rolling, absolutely time to get the arms out. Um, yep. if, if you swaddle a baby or um, if you if you zip a baby up in a, in a full device where all the arms are in and they roll for the first time unobserved and they, they get stuck on their tummy, it's extremely difficult for babies to roll back. So really this transitioning out of the swaddle has something that is, is something that's just evolved in time. I think it's become blurred with lots of products that are available and um, yep. industry is, has, has noted a perceived fear in parents where, oh, my God, I can't swaddle my baby anymore. What am I going to do? Oh, hey, we'll just in, invent a transitional jacket or something where baby's wrapped with one arm out and then the other arm out and then see you later. Meanwhile, you've just done your $50 or whatever you spent on this thing that you've used for two sleeps. So you don't really need to transition the baby as such. You can. And by doing that, you would wrap the baby with one arm out and then the following night, the other arm out, yep. and then the following night, just around the middle, nice and firmly, and then away you go. But I would always recommend that if you're making a change to your baby's routine and certainly a change to your baby's uh, sleep association, because by this age, they'll start to associate wrapping with bedtime and it feels different, yes. you're going to have a little bit of trouble. So don't do it by yourself. Choose you know, a time when hopefully you can have someone in the house with you to support you while your baby takes a little bit longer to not off to sleep. Mm. Next question. Can I sleep my baby in a hammock or similar device? Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. no. And, and the reason for that is to do with the airway again. So Too soft. If, it's, yeah, it's the, yes. It's very soft. If you think about the baby, it's, Babies have very large heads in relation to the rest of their bodies and they're really, really heavy, real like bony head, hard, heavy. They have tiny little necks and not a lot of muscle um, bulk in their neck and shoulders and back especially. And because of that, if we put them in a hammock or an inclined device, they'll their heads will slump forward and the chin will hit the chest because I can't hold it up very blocked. well. Exactly. Gotcha. That will happen. But also in a hammock, they they will slouch into a C-shaped position and it will add pressure to the chest. They can't fully expand their chest. They can eventually um, suffocate and asphyxiate that way. So hammocks wow. are just a big no-no. Neat. Big no-no. Nope. Gotcha. Next uh, <laughs> question. Are all products sold in Australia safe for baby to sleep in, if, for example, at ba- uh, bounce nets? and nests, and those types of things? Oh, no. So, unfortunately, no. So, not everything sold in this country is safe to sleep in, and, and we assume that because it's a baby item that it is safe. And, look, mo- products, when you look at them on face value, you know, they're well-made, they're, they're okay. But in terms of selecting a safe sleep space, you want to go for a cot or a portable cot. Like, you cannot get anything safer than that. Bounce nets, nests, none of them have safety standards. Um, for safety and they don't take into consideration the baby's natural anatomy that we just spoke about before about the large head heavy yep. can't really hold it up too well you pop a baby in a bouncer net they slump forward once again you the is going to be cut off exactly yep. and it can happen just like that you've popped the baby in the bassinet you've gone to make a cheese sandwich for the toddler and you've come back and your baby's my blue. goodness yep and it and it really does loud happen. and clear okay mm. awesome mm. So what about bassinets? Are they safe? Yeah. Now, this is this is interesting. So I'm going to say yes, even though they don't meet Australian standards for safety yet. So hopefully those standards will come, you know, in, in the coming years. Standards do take a while to, to come together. Now, if 
you choose a bassinet. We have a fantastic information statement actually on our website that kind of lists some um, specific design specifications to look for if you're choosing one. There's just a few things to remember about a bassinet in that they you don't get a lot of time out of them. So you've got about three months out of a bassinet. As soon as your baby can roll um, or, you know, sit up or, or, st- or start to sort of become more mobile, you need to get your baby out of the bassinet and into the cot. They need more space around their airway because they tend to roll into the sides and um, they can get into trouble there. Um, in ter- using a bassinet, if that's the only way that parents and caregivers can get their babies um, into the room with them, um, for, to you know, honour that fifth safe sleep recommendation about sleeping in the same room to reduce yep. the risk, then go for it. Use okay. the bassinet, make it up in the same safe way that you would have done a cot yes. and go from there. But just remember that from three months, baby has to hop out and go into a cot um, where there's a lot more space for that baby to, you know, diffuse carbon dioxide and breathe nicely. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Next question. What is the yeah. safest, most effective way to swaddle and wrap a baby? Yes. So the red nose recommendation for swaddling babies with wraps is just to use a cotton or a muslin wrap. So no Bust. zips, no yep. no buttons, no Velcro, nothing. You know, and you, I, I mean, I say muslin and cotton, but whatever. You could go to Kmart and buy a $5 wrap or you could go to some fancy pants brand and buy an $80 wrap. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it just needs to be lightweight and something that you manually put on your baby and we're not relying on a zip or a Velcro or anything like that. Um, we've got some great advice on our website about how to, to do that, but just making sure that when you're wrapping your babies that you're keeping their heads and faces uncovered. Um, sometimes in hospital, um, parents are modelled by the midwife, and I'm guilty of this, of wrapping babies up with their heads kind of wrapped up like little babushka dolls, and we do that straight after birth in that clinical situation. We don't want the babies to get cold through their heads. But when they're home, they need to have their heads and faces uncovered. We don't want the wrap so tight that it gives pressure to the chest and they can't expand and ventilate. So not so tight that they can't breathe, but not so loose that it's going to come undone the second you pop the baby in. And it just takes practice and midwives. Just about to say, how do you know then? You just know sort of just from... You'll know. You will. You do practice in hospital maternal and child health nurses, community nurses can show you as Perfect. well. There's lots of YouTube vi- videos. There's so much out there. Yeah. Um, and just modify the wrapping technique once that baby starts to approach that milestone of rolling. We need to think, okay, if, you've, if you're starting to rock and roll a little bit on the floor during playtime, might be the time to get rid of the wrapping and go from there. And also, I just want to add, it's not the be all and end all if you don't wrap your baby we don't have to wrap our babies or swaddle them it's it's a culturally um accepted parenting practice that we do in australia we and we do it but you go to scandinavia and they don't wrap their babies you you like it it's just something that we do to help kind of um just hold those arms in gently to stop that startle reflex from happening some babies find a lot of comfort in Mm. having that extra bit of support but some babies really hate it and then we're persevering and we're like why don't you want to wrap and you like you get cross and you're trying to wrap this baby and it's like maybe if your baby doesn't like it that's okay too and you don't have to wrap your baby you can pop your baby straight into a sleep bag with their arms free and you're good to go Mm. Next question yep. is a big one. What is yep. sudden unexpected death in infancy? Oh, yeah. How do you put yep. it? Sudi. Sudi. 
Yep, sudden unexpected death in infancy. So that's an umbrella term, SUDI, and it, um, it it's a preliminary classification used to describe the death of a baby that's happened suddenly when we don't know what's happened. So another example of an umbrella term would be um, cancer. So we everyone knows that word, but we also know that there's like a thousand different cancers underneath that umbrella term, okay? Right. So is the umbrella. That's what we're starting with. Then we need to investigate what happened. And so the only way to find out how a baby died suddenly and unexpectedly is to perform an autopsy, which is really, really important. can be really traumatic for the parents to make that decision, but it needs to happen to, to find, We, you know, we need to find the answers. We need to do um, an investigation of the scene, so where the baby was found, how it was placed, what the bedding looked like, all of that interview, medical records, all of that kind of stuff. Then they piece it all together and sometimes we can have a SUDI, so a sudden unexplained death of an infant where, you know, our healthy baby went to bed, didn't wake up, that's explained and we have a reason and it might be that the baby had pneumonia, like there was inflammation found in the bronchioles or maybe the baby was accidentally overlaid by a parent in an unsafe co-sleeping situation, couldn't expand the chest and it suffocated. Maybe that was a reason. But for some babies we know that there is no reason and for those babies you know that unfortunately do die um, they're known as a SIDS so they're classed as a SIDS a sudden infant death syndrome where we know that it happened somewhere the fatal episode happened somewhere during sleep and that's it now SUDI the umbrella is still you know the largest um, class classification used for deaths for children 12 months and below so it's still it's still very much happening um, and that's why the work of Red Nose is just so very important um, to yes. continue and, and why we're so grateful um, to you, Rachel, for helping us get the messages out, you know, to how, how to keep these little babies safe, particularly in the sleep environment where largely this is happening. Yeah, it's a great honour to do this work, that's for sure. Um, next question, are there any specific safe products designed for, for baby to sleep in? Yep. so... Really, the safest products for babies to sleep in are going to be the cot or the portable cot if you're choosing some somewhere for baby to sleep. You know, when you look at your little baby and, you know, you, you see that you've got a simple little creature in front of you, they don't need a lot. You know, they need, they need you, they need to be fed, they need somewhere really safe to sleep. They probably need a car restraint. That's pretty important. Probably should abide by the law and put one of those in. And we should probably buy a pram. And we know that um, the baby is going to fall asleep in all these weird and wonderful and wacky places. They're going to fall asleep in the car. Of course they are. They're a baby. They're going to fall asleep in the pram. Yep, absolutely that's going to happen. But then we need to know that those were never designed uh, to be um, – sleep spaces independent of anything else so yep your baby will fall asleep in them but they're not beds it's a pram it gets you from a to b and so if your baby's asleep in the pram you need to keep your eye on the baby that baby stays supervised if you're out and about going for a walk your baby's asleep that's great that's fine watch your baby be looking at your baby um, and when you get to your destination take your baby out of the pram or out of the restraint or the capsule or whatever it is that you've got let that baby take a big breath of air which it really needs to do because it's been curled over and pop them into their safe sleep environment which is their cot or their portable cot gotcha mm. 
Okay. Um, the uh, next question is, uh, my parents smoke, uh, not my parents, yeah. but this is the question. <laughs> my yeah. parents smoke, but only smoke outside, then wash their hands before picking up my baby. Is this safe? Mm. So like we spoke about earlier, smoking is never a good idea. And smoking, um, the effect of smoking on a baby is dose related, which means the more exposure that you have, the greater the risk. So you know, you're obviously, if you've got parents that are smoking and they're washing their hands, that's fantastic. They're, they're trying to minimise that risk as much as possible. I would add to that, that if they are doing that, that they have a jacket or a glove or other things that they're using to absorb that, um, that smoke. And then when they come inside, that all of those articles get removed, they wash their hands and their mouth and they wait a good 20 minutes before they hold the baby where that nicotine can, you know, be not no longer in the pores of the skin um, and then hold the baby. But by by no way, shape or form do we suggest that smoking is a good idea. It's always going to be better that you don't do that anywhere the baby's going to be. Yes. Mm. Last question. My mother yeah. told me she always placed me for sleeping on my tummy and I was okay. She said yeah. my baby is more likely to choke on her back. Is this true? Yeah, isn't that really interesting? Yeah, I know. And my mother said the same thing. I slept on my tummy and, you know, it's a wonder you're alive. I mean, she'd say these terrible things. But the thing is, you know, we've had the beauty of 40 years of research now and now we know different. So let's let's do different. You know, mothers you know, 40 years ago, did the best that they could with the knowledge that they had. And they did a beautiful job. Yep, they did a beautiful job. And now we know that, you know what, if we put our babies on their tummy, their airway gets tucked underneath their food pipe. And if they vomit, that that milk and posits and vomit and all of that muck is, is, is going to go into that airway. And that baby's more likely to choke and really struggle to, to breathe so we know now that you know what let's sleep our babies on their back so that doesn't happen but also that their arousal mechanism that waking up from sleep mechanism can work properly because if we if we reverse that and we put babies on their bellies they're not swallowing as well and they're not waking up as well so gotcha. mm. look we've covered off on a lot of information today but I guess if you were to summarize we the have. key messages for anyone watching and listening how would you summarize what they are and what are the key takeaways that you want people to remember um, from this today and also about safe sleep week um, oh thank you yeah so just you know it can be really hard for parents and I think it's getting harder and harder you know the more exposure we have to social media and it's just it's very noisy out there the new parent market um and so it's about just you know choose one source of truth you know go somewhere or one or two you know really well um credentialed um places for your information you know red nose has evidence-based information come to red nose ring us with all of your questions doesn't matter how silly it's fine you know um really think about try not to be lulled into the into clever marketing into um because marketing people are very clever at tapping into your emotions. And of course you want the best for your baby. You want your baby to be comfortable. You want your baby to be loved and all of these wonderful things. And your baby will be comfortable and your baby is loved. And um, 
it's important just to take a step back before you get kind of in the whirlwind of products and things that are available and think about, okay, so if I wanted to buy this fantastic thing, could it affect my baby's airway? Because the safe sleep recommendations are all about airway support and protection. Hmm, not sure. That's okay. Ring the safe sleep line and let someone from Red Nose talk you through that. That's absolutely fine. I think the more that we can have these conversations and the more that we can talk about it and just, you know, no one has to feel silly. There's no silly question. You know, we're really taking the fear out of it and um, we're really, you know, empowering parents to make really, really safe decisions with their babies. Hmm. And, of mm. course, every dollar that Red Nose raises um, helps to fund critical research um, to support families and save their lives. So if viewers um, want to learn more, want to fundra- fundraise, sorry, <laughs> uh, to get involved or support um, all the work that you do, what should they do? Oh, thank you. So you can always head to our website, www.rednose.org.au, and there's um, donate now buttons and all sorts of things that you can have a look at um, that, you know, might be might be good for you. Um, certainly, if anybody needs more information or they would like to reach out to Red Nose, um, they can do that via the Safe Sleep Line, and that's um, that's manned or womaned um, during the week, um, during business hours. And the number there is one three hundred nine nine eight six nine eight. And um, we're always ready to answer any of your questions that way. Um, Facebook and Instagram um, is a great way to get little snippets of information and to reach out to us as well. Um, we do. We certainly respond pretty quickly to anything on social media, but um, email as well. If, if you're old fashioned and you feel like just sending a big little, you know, letter, that's also fine. And you can email us at education um, at rednose.org.au. And of course, yes. Red Nose encourages anyone affected by the death of a child to contact your 24-7 bereavement support line on 1300 308 307 or visit rednosegriefandloss.org.au. There's so many incredible services that you guys offer. So it's just um, really incredible. But thank you so much for your time today. Um, and we really can't wait to, sort of, to get this uh, this interview out for as many people to be able to listen and to learn from. But thank you so much. And and really look Thanks, forward Rich. to a chat again in the not too distant future. But until then, take care and stay safe. Thank you. Thanks, Rachel. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. I'm Rachel Monteleone, and you've been listening to Kittypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kittypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.